Yep. All right, got it. All right, hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim R. Today is episode 99, and today we're going to be interviewing Jim. How are you doing this afternoon, Jim? I'm very good. Uh, happy to be here today, Jim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got, we're going to be going back to work, Jim. Thank you, Jim. Oh, thank you, yeah, Jim. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's get started and dive in. Tell me about your childhood. Tell me about growing up. So uh, my childhood from the outside may have been a, a regular uh, childhood growing up in the 70s. I was born in 1970. Um, the, uh, I guess the thing, I thought it was normal, but uh, there wasn't a lot of abuse, like physical abuse. For me, it was a lot of... Uh, uh, like my parents drank and, and uh, my grandparents and uh, all my cousins, everybody in the family that I knew uh, were, I know now were alcoholics. Uh, and um, for me, my dad left when I was six. Uh, so it was just me and my mom uh until she passed away in 2000 but uh so um she was uh she was a single mom raising me on her own uh she worked uh usually about three jobs at a time so i was always alone and uh right from a young age I was always either I was at uh, um, babysitters places or or uh, just being bounced around uh, at an early age I used to have to take uh, the transit bus from West End Winnipeg to downtown by myself unsupervised and I attribute that kind of stuff to some of my anxiety issues today was that uh, a rough neighborhood I, i'm not too familiar with Canada, well, no, so. it, it wasn't really a rough neighborhood where i was coming from but going downtown and and uh having to it was about at least an hour and 15 minute bus ride like a transit ride mm -hmm. for me uh and being a little kid at like six seven uh I was always worried about missing my stops and this kind of stuff. Um, so a lot of my anxiety today comes from that. Um, but as I got a little older, say around eight, eight is when, when my uh, active addiction, I guess, started. Wow, my mom, that's, that's young, eight years old. Yeah, yeah. Um, I look at uh, April's son today, he's nine, and I think, like, I had already started drinking by that age. That's and crazy. I, it, it just, yeah, it wasn't full-time, uh, but it was regular enough that, uh, as my mom came up with a solution that I had a babysitter at home, uh, but I was kind of an unruly child because... I had a lot of uh, separation anxiety, I guess you could call it. I used to have uh, convulsions when she would take off uh, and just, I don't know if it was anger or, or just stress or, and sometimes it would get the better of me and I would uh, go into convulsions basically like a seizure uh, just from the, whatever it was. So my mom decided that she would allow the babysitter to medicate me with uh, wine. No so, yeah. So, and I don't blame my mom, you know, she, back in the seventies, I think that, I don't know if medicating with wine was a common practice, but you know, dads would drink small amounts of beer or whatever. So I don't know. I don't blame her. She did the best she could. 
with what she had. Uh, she worked for the Royal Bank. Um, so she worked long hours. She was, uh, she would have to drive an hour one way and, and then work nine, 10 hours, whatever it was, and then drive home. So it was a long day for her. Um, and I needed someone there after school or whatever at nights because she worked a night job as well. Um, so yeah, then, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but I was probably predisposed uh, to alcoholism uh, and later uh, drug abuse. But so by the time, uh, I don't know, 10, 11, uh, we had moved. She had bought a house when I was 11. So I was. Uh, I was in a new school and uh, still drinking. No, by this that time, was gonna be, that was going to be a question for me. At such oh. a young age, how often did you drink? So you were drinking at eight, but was it like you were drinking every day? Was it once a week, once a month? No. <clears throat> uh, when it first started, it was probably a couple times a week. And it wasn't me uh, wanting it. It was just a way to cool me down, to, to get me to, to calm down, to go to sleep, kind of, that kind of thing. And then, like, and then, right, and my mom, so this is, the, I guess, I back, rewind a little bit. My mom worked for the bank, so um, they used to have, they used to party a lot as well. And a lot of times, like when I used to take the transit bus to work, I would be there in the basement of the bank. They'd be drinking and partying and whatever. And then I like I was hanging out with uh, adults all the time that were uh, drinking. So I was trying to, because my mom was happy at those times. So I guess I was trying to uh, make her happy or whatever. And I was always... They had me bartending drinks at a young age. Uh, I would be uh, sneaking, you know, the odd beer here and there or shots. Um, and it was just a way for me uh, to feel like an adult because that's, to me, that's what seemed to make my mom happy, right? Just to be around adults. So I was trying to appease her and, and uh, while she was off partying or whatever. So did you drink in front uh, of her? She, did she know you were drinking? No, not at that age. I would, uh, not at that age. Um, fast forward a little bit till I was about a, what? Uh, fast forwarding to when I was about 11. Uh, that's when I kind of started uh not drinking with her or in front of her but uh she knew by this point uh that i had an alcohol problem because uh in grade six i think i was me and a friend from the school i was in and she was away all the time she was at work so i basically uh raised myself uh for a long time and a friend of mine went back to my place at lunchtime and we were drinking straight Bacardi rum and CC whiskey and then we uh, tried to go back to school and we were just polluted uh, and they and they just sent me home to my to my empty home where I went home and I got violently ill, like I could have probably died from alcohol poisoning. And I feel back then, like nobody wanted to be involved. The The guidance counselor was the person and the principal was the one that sent me home. And 
throughout my whole life, I feel like I've always fallen through the cracks in that way. Like there was a lot of times, uh, even my, my mom, like I was going to say, by this time she knew I was drinking. And I would come home, you know, after uh, curfew or whatever, and I would have bottles of beer falling out of my jacket and she would just tuck them away uh and not say anything one time she threw an AA pamphlet at me and said you need help and you're just like your father and that and I didn't know my father so that kind of got under my skin and 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 had the fire I guess um I forgot what I was gonna say there now she uh when we moved into this new place she went to get uh uh benefits or or uh private insurance i guess and uh they the insurance adjusters at that time would come to your house and you would do your little thing and then they wanted to talk to me privately without my mom there and and they they told me, okay, so we're going to ask you a few questions. We want you to be truthful. Uh, you know, tell us everything. And they started asking me about drugs and alcohol. And my responses to those questions, um, they denied my mom her insurance. Because of they asked me how often do I drink, and at that time it was two, three, four times a week. And if I smoked drugs, I was already uh, smoking pot every day. Um, not too much longer. I think I was about thirteen. I started into coke, just snorting coke. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, very and for me like it was very lonely i've always been kind of a, a loner that way um i didn't know how when i was really young and have to go my mom would send me to a, a small town where her sister lived and like when you first get somewhere you the greetings, like the hugs and the kisses and all that used to cause me a lot of anxiety. Um, not that I didn't want to be there. It's just I didn't, we didn't show affection. We didn't talk in our family on a regular basis. And to me, it was always just kind of fake. Um, and same when we were leaving, it was, I, those times created a lot of anxiety for me. Um, so now, uh, like by the time, fast forwarding a little bit, uh, I was already smoke, uh, snorting coke and stuff by 13. And then by, and I was a career alcoholic by that point. Like I was drinking every day, uh, and I've always been high functioning. Like I, uh, I didn't graduate high school, but uh, I made it to grade eleven, and uh, um, oh, I'm stuck. Um, made it to grade eleven. Right, um, and. I used to use every day, like uh, in high school, uh, I used to use a lot of acid and mushrooms. I used to go to class uh, high on acid. Uh, and I used to drive a lot too, which is something I'm not really proud of. Um, like downtown Winnipeg. Uh, just anywhere really and I'm surprised I never killed anybody it's uh, something that used to weigh heavy on me but uh, I've kind of dealt with that stuff through the recovery progress uh, process but so and then in high school uh, I got more involved with coke uh, 
using every other day for sure but then starting uh using crack and stuff and we used to party at my mom's place because again she was always gone um and then uh when i was uh 18 that was the first time i was arrested for and just a misdemeanor now i guess it was just for possession of uh hash um And then uh, I was working uh, a new job and uh, one of the guys there, he was moving out to BC. I said, oh, can I come with you? This is at 18. And uh, yeah, sure. So we drove out. Uh, we were staying at a buddy of his, uh, his girlfriend. And... Um, for the first six months, we were just kind of uh, visiting around, driving around. But uh, I got really involved with crack there. Like my my crack addiction just exploded, and um, for for a month, I lived on a uh, there's a place there called Wreck Beach by uh, UBC. I lived there for a month, homeless. Uh, I used to be uh, on East Hastings once in a while. Oh, I don't know. Was three, East four months on and off. What were you sleeping on the streets? Pardon me? What were you yeah. sleeping on the streets? What's East Hastings? Is that an area in town? That's uh, a, a core area in downtown Vancouver. Uh, there's a lot of uh, homeless people there. It's right. It's kind of weaved in with uh like the rich people right so there's a lot of people uh uh asking for money and stuff and just hardcore down and out people down there i wasn't uh i've never used iv or anything like that but i i just had nowhere to go uh the people i was staying with we had rented a place in uh burnaby and it was just too expensive. It was, uh, the places there were much too expensive. So anyways, um, that was my first taste of uh, homelessness. Um, so I moved back uh, to Winnipeg and um, it was just much of the same. Uh, I, I lived with my mom for the first little while when I got, got back. Uh, and then um, I had found a job as a bartender where my uh, my alcoholism uh, kind of took off because I was pouring as many drinks for myself as, as for other people. Um, and then uh, it was I moved to Brandon at one point. <clears throat> it another, it's a city in in Manitoba, but it's just a bit smaller than Winnipeg. Um, well, going back, you were homeless at one point. Did you eventually find housing? You said you moved. Did you just move to a different well, area? We, yeah, I kind of. Well, I was. I kind of would stay where I was living prior to that once in a while, if I needed to. Um, they just didn't, because I was so involved with uh, drugs and stuff, they just didn't want me around, right? So uh, I would go back once in a while. Uh, and I was working at this time too, but I was spending my checks uh, faster than I could get them. So, you know, I might a week or two at a time. And then eventually I just said, well, enough's enough. And uh, my mom bought me a bus to get home. Um, so I stayed with her for a while. Uh, How old were you at this point? Uh, about 18, 19. 
they're still really young. Yeah. Um, so then I moved to Falcon Lake and I got a job at a hotel uh, as a bartender, like I said, and, and uh, my alcoholism really took off and I was still using and uh, I never really got involved in opiates and stuff, uh, thankfully. Um, Did you, let me ask you this then, question. Let me ask you this. Did you get a job at the bar on purpose or was it like the only position they had available? No, I, uh, they were, they were, uh, looking for bartenders and I thought it would have been a great job for me because I, I was a career alcoholic by that time. And, uh, yeah, I kind of set myself up, uh, that way it was intentionally, I applied there for, for that reason. Um, and it didn't last very long, a couple of years, and it was a all year round job. So I had to work through the winter, which was pretty slow and uh, not isolated. But there wasn't a lot of people around. So all there was really to do was drink. And the bar was usually slow. So I would be pouring myself drinks and smoking crack so eventually I got fired from that job I uh it was a May long weekend and we were uh the the hotel manager lived in a small town not far from where we worked and uh we were drinking there all night uh scotch and uh I wanted to go to the May long weekend social. So we hopped in my truck and uh, because it was a provincial park, the RCMP manned the gates and just check people out on their way, um, on their way in. And so I drove past the gates about a mile and then I just drove through the ditch, but they saw me do that. So they, uh, they uh, followed me to the social and arrested me there for uh, 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 a DUI, but I refused to blow. So that was an uh, uh, automatic automatic admission of guilt. I think the screens. Oh, no, no. So it's an automatic um, admission of guilt when you uh, say no? Yes. Yeah. So spent the night in jail for that sobered up and then uh because i wasn't allowed to be in the park anymore i lost my job uh so again i went back to my mom's uh not for long i at this point i couldn't stay with my mom very often uh Why is that? or for too long well just because i had been on my own uh and i just couldn't follow rules and uh we would argue and bicker and I would get drunk and and uh I never physically abused her but I'm sure I verbally uh abused her and let her know how I feel and I could only be honest with her if I was drunk mm -hmm. um and so anyways uh after that I moved to uh Brandon which is a smaller city than Winnipeg but um and there i started to uh uh started dealing a little bit of coke uh so again um isn't um isn't crack just cocaine cooked up i'm not actually yes. familiar with that yeah crack is just uh uh it's called freebasing i guess like uh you just Cook it up and yeah um so i did that for a while and then i ended up going to jail for uh three months again for possession of just uh uh oil like uh cannabis oil and they sent you uh, away for three months for that yeah well there was we had a uh some coke uh and some uh there was an automatic weapon there but 
there was no ammunition for it. So um, the coke charge was on my other friend that I was with at the time, and uh, he did two years for the coke. Um, so anyways, uh, moving forward, a lot like from from probably late teens, every day was about uh, drinking or getting high or, or, you know, just so after I got out of jail again, I went back to my mom's and then uh, um, and then uh, I met my ex-wife uh, probably and my ex-wife now I guess uh, in uh, 19 I don't even know 99 um, and by this time in uh, hang on in 1997 I had quit all hard drugs and alcohol and I would just, I just continued to smoke pot. I wasn't doing any uh, acid or mushrooms or anything like that. Why, why did you decide and, to quit? Well, I didn't like the way I was when I was drinking. Because I would, I would black out and I wasn't violent, but I would, I just didn't like the way I was. I, nobody liked to be around me and, uh, and my mom also got sick. She uh, was diagnosed with uh, renal cancer. Um, so they, she went to the specialist and then that evening they were operating on her. So when I went home, I was just beside myself. I couldn't, uh, even though we didn't get along very much, I still loved her like my mother and uh, she was all I had throughout my whole life, and uh, that was probably the, the first time that I, uh, you know, I said, if you can, please God, if you can help me quit drinking or whatever, uh, or keep her, keep her safe or whatever, um, I'll quit drinking. So I quit she uh she had her operation uh and then she was uh she was okay she was uh she lost the use of her legs because uh the cancer was growing cysts on her spine and stuff and uh so that went on for about four years and in the meantime i had met my now ex-wife uh we had uh, one son who was born a month after my mom had passed away in 2000. Um, and through all of that, I uh, continued to stay what I called sober at that time, just smoking pot. And then fast forward uh, uh, 20 years, just smoking pot, uh, staying away from alcohol. Um, I started a business in uh, 2010 with a uh, construction business. Oh, and, and somewhere along the way there, I got my uh, uh, journeyman ticket and carpentry. Well, real quick, going back to the 20 years, yep. what, what point did you say back then? Because you said you were sober, quote unquote, but were you... Were you in recovery? Did you were you like living a good life? Did you have goals set and things like that? How was your explain our recovery to you? I mean to us. Well, I wasn't I wasn't in what I would call recovery now. I was kind of uh I I kept my addiction alive using pot. I didn't know that then. Um and I was like one of those white knucklers. I, I had never dealt with any um, 
of my childhood trauma issues. Like, uh, I, I didn't even know I had trauma until I went to treatment, uh, later on, like abandonment issues and neglect and, and, uh, just being exposed to all that stuff as a child. I didn't realize that that was trauma. I always thought trauma was a train wreck or something horrific like that. Um, so I had never dealt with anything like that. I, I still, I had to do six months of AA mandated by the courts when I got my DUI. Uh, and I was, I was like, this isn't for me. I can't do this because, you know, I'm not a God fearing person. I don't like the way they, and my first meeting, I, I identified as a drug addict. And um, at AA back then, they didn't really want drug addicts in their meetings. It was for hardcore alcoholics who wanted to quit drinking. And, uh, and they let you, like, they don't say it specifically, but you feel that from the energy in the room. Um, so I just, I got completely away from AA that turned, turned my nose up at that, uh, the first time I went, but I had to go for six months just because of the courts. And then as soon as I was done, um, so, uh, I, uh, I started my own business in, in 2010, uh, things were going really well uh, for the first couple of years. Uh, and then uh, my wife and my ex-wife and I were having issues. Uh, things kind of started falling apart. And then in 2014, uh, I started my my relapse, I guess you could say. Uh, and I, one day I just said, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to go and buy a couple of bottles of red wine. Cause I, re I used to really like wine, uh, for some reason. Um, and then after my first bottle of wine, I went, uh, I bought an eight ball of Coke. Uh, and then, uh, that went on the, for the wine, six. I guess the wine triggered your addiction that you just like didn't care anymore. Right. Right. And as soon as I started drinking, I wanted to get high. Uh, and <sighs> that went on for, I don't know, three, four years. And then, uh, and all the while, like I, I worked, uh, I, I, my business went bankrupt in uh, 2015 uh, for various reasons. And I'm sure one of them was because I was using, but um, the whole time I, w I was always working. Even after my business went uh, bankrupt, I, I was still working, uh, you know, 12 hour days uh and using all the time i wasn't so much drinking all the time but my crack addiction just went through the roof again and then uh at one point this would have been about 20 2016 i guess i got turning onto meth and then it was all over from there like uh, I remember saying one time as shortly after I got started in meth, as I, I could just feel that I was going to go to jail. It was, I don't know what it was. Uh, and at this point I was, I was living in Brandon, uh, and making about four grand a month. And I was living in my car, uh, probably already for a year at that point. And uh, 
making four grand a month, living in my car, uh, and all that money I was making was going to drugs, crack, meth. Um, and then uh, in 2019, I, uh, I was arrested for, uh, it was just, I think it was just a routine traffic stop or something. But I was dealing at this point too, I was dealing meth, uh, not on a large scale by any means, but, uh, and I was, I would be, I was kind of a middleman too for people. Like if they wanted something, I would find it for them or whatever. And I was working all day for a construction company. And then by night, I was kind of a, a courier for drug people. Um, and, uh, so I spent, uh, I went to jail. I was for five months and, um, the week before my son's 18th birthday, um, is when I went to jail and started doing, I thought my lawyer told me that I was going to be doing two or three years for what I was uh, uh, charged with. And I had a bunch of breaches and finally I just said, fuck it, I'm just gonna stay in jail. Every time I get out, I add more time with breaches and that kind of stuff. And the last time was a week before my son's birthday. And uh, like today we're in a good place, but at that point he was, he hated me. He, he, uh, He thought it was him. Why, why was I, you know, why can't you just quit all those, all that stuff? Um, and my daughter too, she tore a strip off me. I phoned both of them one night, just, I was going to turn myself in and they both just tore a strip off me. And uh, today we're good. I still struggle uh with the things that i've done uh to them not intentionally um but so my recovery journey i guess started uh a couple months after i was released and when i was released uh I had $500 in my pocket. And the first thing I did was went straight to my meth dealer's place. Um, so even incarceration and, and five months clean from everything wasn't enough to uh, keep me clean and sober. So I ended up, I was living in a, 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 an emergency uh, shelter um, I had no place to go. Uh, I was on conditions and the place, the place that, uh, I had given the courts to reside didn't pan out for me. So I was scrambling the first few days to find a place. So I ended up in a, uh, like an emergency shelter. And I say that stayed there for a couple months. And one day I just woke up and um, I was done. I was, I was so tired. I was exhausted just from, um, I had spent 35 plus years in addiction and I was just tired. I couldn't, I couldn't go on anymore. So um, my ex-wife has a, a friend that was uh, a, uh, a counselor in AFM, which is a, a Addictions Foundation of Manitoba. Um, so I contacted her. And at the same time, I went to uh, uh, the Addictions Foundation. Uh, uh, what do you call that? The intake. Oh, no, when you go to the front office. Anyway, I went and talked to them there. And 
normally it takes a few months or at least a month or two to get an intake date to get a bed date um but i needed to get in right away otherwise i don't know where i'd be today but so anyway i got in the following monday this is like four days later uh i started my first round of treatment uh april 3rd of 2019 21 day treatment program yeah and uh it was like a a small child just not knowing uh what was going to happen what to expect and my anxieties were through the roof and um the the one lady that did my uh intake when on the first day like i needed to know what what to expect so she was trying her best to uh, you know, tomorrow you're going to wake up and you're going to have to go to program and this kind of stuff. And dinner, breakfast is at every time, nine o'clock, I think it was. Yeah, it was just like a small child. Um, I remember going to rehab. I had the same feeling where it was like being taught how to do normal things all over again. Exactly. I, I, I had no idea how to, uh, and that was my biggest fear. Like, how am I going to do this without drugs? Like, you yeah. have to learn how to live everything again. Like, everything. Everything I did, I was high when I did it. Um, when I, just backing up for a second, when I, when I was uh, arrested and was incarcerated, they... Uh, I was 145 pounds and they said I was so de dehydrated. I was lucky to be alive so with meth. Like you don't eat. Uh, and if, if I was to have a glass of water, it might be one every three, four months. And I was, I was addicted to meth for three, three plus years. And, uh, yeah, and my my face was all sunk in, my hair was all crazy like Don King. <laughs> um. So yeah. So treatment was uh, uh, a savior, really. Like, and I'm sure it is for everyone. Um. And I. The, fir the first day, maybe the second day I was there, I had already booked a bed date for my next round of treatment. Because at that point, I knew I really wanted to stop using. And I knew it was probably, I knew enough to know that it was going to take more than one round of treatment. So I booked a bed. Um after my uh, first round, I relapsed a couple times. Uh, like I had, I had uh, one of the scariest things ever I had done was delete all the contacts out of my phone. Because um, those were the people I used with or I bought from. And it was like, you know, trying to say goodbye to an old friend, like your addiction, it, it's just, uh, I, there's no words to explain how that feels. It's just a bottomless pit of loneliness, something, I don't know. So anyways, I forgot that my contacts still had me in their phone and uh, somebody contacted me and that triggered me right away. I went and used and uh but it didn't, it didn't define me. It didn't take over. I still wanted to be sober. Uh, so my next round of treatment, um, oh, and so because uh, I was, my first round of treatment, I was, uh, I was still homeless. Uh, other than the, the 
the uh, emergency shelter. So one of the guys that was a chef at uh, on the weekends at AFM, uh, he was a housing director for a program called Housing First. So I got connected with him and through that program, uh, um, they found me housing and uh, uh, they set you up, you know, with your first round of uh, groceries and maybe some small items as well, a bed and, you know, some small furniture items and stuff. But then they also connect with you on a weekly basis, be where you're at. Uh, they want you to stay clean and sober, but uh, the program is mainly for like uh, people who are chronically homeless and can't live well in uh, uh, like a healthy house situation. That's who the I was kind of the low hanging fruit as far as that program, but it actually uh, it gave me. Uh, some hope, a lot of hope, and some confidence. Like I had a place. Uh, part of their mandate is, or their mantra, I guess, is uh, you know, for people to be healthy and uh, like they need certain things in life, right? Like shelter and a place to call their own. And that's what it gave me. It gave me. Uh, uh, the confidence to continue on. So I started my second round of uh, treatment in June. Uh, I think it was also the third, maybe. Um, and by this time, I had learned about trauma. Uh, and I knew what it was like to help other addicts, alcoholics, um, that because I was there my second time, I kind of looked out for the people that were there for their first time. And that gave me uh, strength for myself, but it also uh, helped me um, emotionally uh just to be there for someone to talk to to uh uh because i found talking to the counselors at afm i had told them things that uh i had never told anybody before and that that weight was just lifted right off my shoulders uh and it allowed me to make room for positive energy and and to focus on my recovery um which by this point was uh very very important to me um so then i went to i had, and i in june i had also booked a third round of treatment uh and i was very confident with my recovery by that time. Um, and then I had met April uh, and her being uh, an alcoholic, I knew I couldn't be with somebody that didn't know about addictions, uh, hadn't been through it. Uh, it's uh, to me, it, I don't have to explain anything to her. If, if I'm having a bad day and, uh, you know, she knows uh, some of the problems that, that addicts or alcoholics or uh, people in addiction have, right? So we can talk through things and I don't have to explain every little detail and it just makes life so much easier that we know where each other's coming from. And yes, now today, well. yes, yes. And see, 
and when I was incarcerated, uh, um, I didn't, I still didn't like AA. So I actually, uh, was looking for other support groups and there's, uh, it's not a 12 step program, but it's, uh, um, smart recovery. Yep. I've heard. And it's more of a, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I've heard of them. I've read a little bit about them. It's like, um, I forgot management resource training. I forgot what it stands for, but it's good. It's, it's, uh, it's psychology based. They, I know they do, uh, mm-hmm. cognitive behavioral, cognitive behavioral yeah, therapy. CB, that's right. That's exactly yeah. what it is. So they teach you how to retrain your brain, I guess, kind of, and to do pro pros and cons and the way the situation so that worked for me uh but then uh i kind of got out of touch with that and and then uh april and i uh we bought a house and we work in the same uh community in northern manitoba where there's lots where addiction and abuse and poverty is uh an everyday thing for the people that live here and um she's uh the nadap worker addictions counselor uh and she's always running aa meetings and and uh uh at uh i was involved i go to the meetings as as uh um as, as a participant um and it's amazing to watch uh uh people share pour their souls out and and how people uh respond and care and um I'm I'm learning uh, the Aboriginal culture, uh, which has always been uh, something I like. I'm a, a outdoorsy. Uh, I believe uh, that we're all connected to the earth, and we're all connected together. Um, and yeah, so I, I've been getting more involved in. Uh, helping with sweats, uh, helping the elders put on sweats and stuff, which is uh, basically um, a place to heal, uh, to um, pray. Uh, I don't want to call it church. Is it a sweat lodge? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't want to call it church. Um, but it's that type of uh, it's a spiritual. spiritual. So there you go. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that. Uh, and this. This is my way of giving back. Like uh, April and I work in the same community, so uh, I I know the issues that go on. Uh, I have. Uh, some of the community members work with me. I'm the housing maintenance manager. Uh, so there's usually three, four guys that'll work with me. Uh, we've been trying to take people that graduate from, from the 21 day treatment program that she puts on. Um, and I'm always open to listen to somebody uh, I shared my story a couple times at the last treatment programs that have been run. Um, and we don't, uh, we live a, a clean and sober life. We don't allow uh, any drugs, no alcohol. I smoke cigarettes and drink coffee like they're going out of style, but mm-hmm. that's that's about it. <laughs> That's what I learned from treatment. That's all there is to do in treatment is smoke cigarettes and drink coffee. (laughs) Yeah, my last vice, I've been puffing on this. uh, That's okay, as long as we're sober, you know. 
That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, uh, today I, I live uh, an amazing life. We uh, I just went fishing this morning with a a, a friend from the community and caught a caught a bunch of pickerels and you know I'm doing some yard work around the house and uh, our son's running around here and and we bake some buns and stuff this morning. This is all stuff that I would never do uh, in a life of addiction. It's and amazing can, how we get uh, that back. Yes. And you know what? I never thought I never thought that I could live a life like this ever again. And I've never really had anything. Uh, humble people. We appreciate what we have. And all we want to do is, is help as much as we can. And, and my... Uh, Today, my uh, son is 21, and he has a, a two-year-old son who I've, I get to, to uh, interact with, and, and uh, he came out to the house here in state because he lives four hours away, so it's not easy just to have him here, and they, they trusted me enough to have my grandson here for a week. Uh, my daughter and I have never had a better relationship. Um, and my son, he's still kind of standoffish. He, he, um, I think his mom may have, may have put the bug in his work in his ear that it, it, it might not last forever kind yeah. of thing, but he, we, we get along fantastic. Uh, he trusts me with his son. Um, and I've been sober now for, uh, in July, it'll be three years. Congratulations. So, That's a long time. Yes. It's a real yeah. long time. And I never thought, I never thought in a million years I would have three years clean. Well, you uh, do. That's the longest. That's the longest other than the first eight years of my life. It's the longest I've ever been drug free since I was eight years old. That's amazing. That's, that's a terrible thing, but I'm very, very happy that you managed to find sobriety. Yes. So oh, my I'm last so question. Yeah, I'm happy for you. I really am. And I was going to say, my last question that I ask everybody is, do you have any advice for people listening and watching? Uh, well, I'd have to say, be kind to yourself. Um. Show yourself self-love um, and you have to fight as hard for your recovery as you did for your addiction. If you would walk a thousand miles to get your last hit, then you need to double that for your recovery. Otherwise, I don't know. It's It's... Recovery is not easy, uh, but it's definitely worth it. Yeah. That's great. So I think that's a good place yeah. to wrap it up. How do you feel? How do you think you did? Yeah. I think you I think it was a good story. Well, I don't know. I I, I think it was good. Uh I'm kind of self conscious about my story because it's not as as uh um tragic as some, but Honestly, uh, we all end up in the same place, I guess, right? It's all it's all about recovery. So, exactly, we all we might have different yeah. experiences, but it affects us all in the same way. You know, a lot of it drives us all to drugs. Yeah, or whatever your addiction is. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So, thanks for coming on. And for everyone watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below, give us a like. Also subscribe so you can see when we upload new videos. You can find us on Reddit, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon, where it's free there. It's for public videos. Also, you can find us on Facebook where you can get a lot of resources and information. And you'll see our events tab. And that's where we host our nightly Zoom meetings. 
Also check out addicts-anonymous.com. Go there and you'll see a ton of approved literature that we upload weekly. And that's all I have for today. So until next time.